podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. It's our wrap of day five from the Lord's Test. I'm Menes. I'm joined by Paul Dennett. Paul, I'm absolutely exhausted after watching that day's play. Australia got the win. They're 2-0 up in the Ashes. They won by 43 runs, but that really doesn't tell the whole story. Hey, Menes, what a day of cricket. Um, I'm exhausted as well. I hope that's not coming through my voice because that day deserves to have an energised pair of people talking enthusiastically, which we are, but at um, half past one in the morning, maybe my voice sounds a bit tired. Because it was a um, what a roller coaster of a day. Um, even the first few minutes of it now seem like three days ago. So, so much action was packed into those few hours. Uh, I don't know where to begin. Well, we're going to go through the the action and we're going to go through the controversial moments. But I just want to take the listeners into the emotion that seems to be permeating around Lord's Cricket Ground. I mean, that was an, a real cauldron and it got ugly with the Australian team being abused as they came off the field when w- walking through the long room. The MCC have had to issue a full apology. Uh, Cricket Australia made an official complaint about the abuse they received. They alleged there was also physical abuse. And then as um, the match ended, the Aussie team was roundly booed. So the Ashes has lived up to its billing. I mean, this is epic. Certainly was. And, of course, we're going to talk about the controversy. Um, but it, it shouldn't get in the way of the fact that just purely just on the cricket, there was, uh, I, I reckon, that period um, from when Stokes started to attack uh, until probably the Stokes dismissal um, just after, you know, an hour or whatever after lunch. So a couple of hours either side of lunch was some of the most um, stunning, scintillating sport you could ever hope to watch. It was just, I, I stood the whole time. I don't know why. I just suddenly realised I've just been standing for four hours because I was too keyed up to even sit down. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I mean, it's, at some points I, I could hardly watch. I mean, it was so emotional. But, I mean, that is, um, you know, for the long room at Lords to turn on the Australian team, I mean, that is unprecedented. It is an all-time low moment for English cricket. I mean, they have, the, the fans have had a shocking series from the Rolf Harris chance to this. I mean, booing the Australian team now. I mean, they're 2-0 down in the ashes and their fans are, are carrying on like pork chops. Are you, I, look, I mean, I think that... I, I, I think that... No, I, I think I could be I could be entitled to say, here we go to you. I don't, I don't want to go down that path. Um, I think you're going far too... Um, drawing far too long a boat to, to uh, bag all of the... Uh, the England fans, that guy, yep, or, or those two or three guys or whatever in the long room who were screaming at them, they're idiots um, and they deserve to be castigated in the strongest possible terms. But the rest of the, the in general, I, I think the England fans have been absolutely fine. They've been getting into it. Um, there's been good atmosphere. Um, and I, I just think that um, I think you're letting your emotions get in the way of your, of your judgment there. Well, it's been a, it's a common thread throughout this Ashes series. We've got one, um, we've got one side of the fence um, and one, one side of the other fence. But look, um, you know, let, let's talk about the cricket on the field because, I mean, it, it had everything. Um, we, if we go back to the beginning of play, a very good hour for England. Uh, Duckett and Stokes battered through the first hour. And I thought 
they looked pretty comfortable. And, and I was always, already getting a little worried at that stage. I didn't think Australia were bowling badly, but they, they did look a bit, I don't know, just did, they didn't look to be really making many chances. No, it was kind of one of those days that you see so often in a chase like that, where the, the, the batting side gets a little bit of momentum, the, the, the field gets put back a little bit too much, and the runs start to come. And the, the, the 257 always seemed like it was going to be a little bit about out of reach, but I kind of knew that if the Australians didn't pick up a lot of early wickets that and a, and a partnership started to develop, then it would start to get pretty edgy pretty quickly, and, and, and it certainly did. And so they took the drinks break, and then after drinks, Hazelwood got the big wicket of Ben Duckett. A fantastic bit of wicket-keeping from Alex Carey. He actually stood outside the leg stump waiting for the ball. Hazelwood bowled a short ball. Duckett uh, sort of edged it through to Carey, who took a great catch low to his right. And Duckett was on his way for a, a very nice a very nice innings of, what did he make, 88? 80-something, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he had a really good match. He got 98, uh, 98 in the first innings and then uh, backed it up with the yeah, 83 um, in the second innings. And, um, yeah, um, very good good catch from from Carey. And it sort of felt then as though like, I'd been – before the game, before today's play, I was looking at those runs chases that England had made last summer and – you forget just how prominently Bairstow's name featured in them. So when he walked out the bat with, with Stokes, it felt like Australia's well on top here, but this partnership, uh, anything still could happen. Absolutely. So Bairstow comes out and then not long after we had the moment of the day, the moment of controversy of the day. Uh, would you like to describe it, Paul? Yeah. So Bairstow um, facing up to Cameron Green. Um, the ball went through to the keeper and uh, Bairstow wandered out of his crease to do some gardening and Carey kind of anticipating that he was going to potentially do that. I think that they'd been seeing that he had been leaving his crease a little bit early. Carey underarmed the ball and it hit the stumps with Bairstow sort of uh, a metre or two out of his crease starting to tap away at the pitch. There was a, uh, the Australians immediately started celebrating. Um, it went up to the third umpire and the third umpire gave him out stumped. And I think from as far as the laws are concerned, no one disputes that it was the right decision. Uh, Ricky, commentary, Ricky Ponting um, got a, a text from Simon Taufel basically saying that, uh, yep, that was the right decision. And of course, the, the, the controversy that then uh, ensued, which was, was this within the, the spirit of the game? Was this the, the right thing? And, the, you know, there's, uh, this is going to be the massive talking point um, that comes out of it. Uh, so I'll let you go first with your thoughts on it. I mean, I, I'm really um, pretty clear on it that if you look at the, the replay, Carey threw the ball basically as soon as he got it, and it was a lack of game awareness from Johnny Bairstow. So he 100% deserved what he got. And I don't think it's... Uh, it's, it's on the Australian team to do any favours to the English. I don't think it's poor sportsmanship. It's actually just lazy, bloody cricket. It's like a man cat at the non-strikers end, a batter just wandering out. Um, I think in this case, um, you could make the argument that Bairstow wasn't trying to get an advantage. But Perry wasn't, like, waiting for Bairstow to do something. He got the ball and threw it. And Bairstow should have actually been watching the game. So, unfortunately, a bit like Mitchell Stark's catch, 
yesterday, um, you know, the rules of the game were applied correctly. Yeah, they were. And I, I you know, I don't, uh, I, I respect that argument. I don't, um, I don't strenuously disagree with it. The one thing I'd say is it's not correct to say that there's no, uh, that it was kind of like he, he he definitely wasn't trying to get any um, gain out of it. There's no equivocation about that. He was just wandering out of his crease to do some gardening. Uh, I don't think it was poor sportsmanship by the Australians to appeal. Uh, I just think, if I'm being honest, and I know that a lot of listeners would disagree, in that situation, if I'd been the captain, I would have I would have called him back. I would have said it clearly was no intention of gaining anything, um, and I would have just I would have instinctively done that and called him back. I totally understand that the Australians wouldn't have been a million miles, wouldn't have been within a million miles of doing that. They would be saying, as you kind of said, well, you know, Stark got done by the letter of the law yesterday. Um, so, we'll, we'll, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, then we'll, we'll play to the letter of the law today. I understand that. I don't quite think there's the, that same equivalency between the two. Um, but I just, I suppose I'm not up for the, I don't think I'm up for the debate. Um, I, I feel like sitting this one out. It's like, yeah, you guys, everyone tear themselves in shreds about it. Uh, I don't think the Aussies did anything wrong, but if I was the captain, I would have called him back. So Bairstow was stumped off the bowling of Cameron Green by Alex Carey. That's what it looks like in the score, but scorebook. I'm a bit like you, actually, that I was so emotional at the time that I decided to sort of look to the, the senior figures um, who were, you know, commentating on the game. And no one seemed to have a problem with it. And I don't feel... As I said, I don't feel Carey was trying to be sly. If you look at the replay, he literally got the ball and threw it. Bairstow was not paying attention. And, you know, it's just another example of this series of England, you know, not crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And, you know, I know you're going to say that's wrong, but 100% England just, um, you know, Bairstow got himself out. And he's, a, you know, that's it. And I do not like the way the English crowd turned on the Australian team. That is disgraceful behaviour from the Lord's long room. And, um, yeah, it's, it's it's very, very bad. If it had happened to the reverse, and if it had happened to an Australian player, I would have no argument with what the other side did. I, I probably said the same. I said I would have liked to have seen the other captain call him back, but the fact that he didn't, I'd be completely calm with that. Um, I don't mind the crowd booing a bit. Uh, that's kind of expected. It's always going to happen. It's part of the atmosphere. But those idiots in the long room screaming, cheat, cheat, cheat. It was this, um, and maybe they'll change their tune, but as far as I understand it at the moment, the MCC have taken no action against them. Uh, you know, it's a bit of a double standard that um, you could sense that if it was someone in the outer that did something like that, they would um, probably kick them out and never let them back in. Uh, it was a very privileged and entitled look from that idiot screaming at them cheat 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 like that um i i thought that was repugnant i think australia should sing under under the southern cross in the long room later tonight when they've all gone home Um, (laughs) crash the joint (laughs) absolutely Um, everywhere (laughs) so and then so so stuart broad comes out after that and you know like okay i'm not going to sort of rehash old old wounds from 2013 but you know Stuart Broad's telling Alex Carey that oh this is what you'll be remembered for I mean if that's not pot pot, the pot calling the kettle black I don't know what what it is well maybe it's an expert knowing (laughs) knowing knowing the truth of the situation (laughs) (laughs) you don't know what you've just started mate the English fan will never forget this 
I think the thing with the broad thing in 2013, I was there that day. The one thing that in Stuart Broad's defence, he, he did walk when it, he didn't walk when it went to first slip, but it did go to first slip deflected off the keeper's gloves. You know, had the keeper caught it, no one would have expected him to walk. Um, but I, I actually thought it was really funny what Stuart Broad was then doing when he was out there that uh, he was kind of ostentatiously checking with the umpires and checking with Kerry. Am I allowed to lead by Chris now? I found that a bit funny. It reminded me a little bit of um, the footage I've seen of Tony Gregg in 74-5 in the midst of a bouncer barrage from Lillian Thompson smacking them for four and then actually signaling his own boundaries. I, you know, Broad is goading the Australians and then copying bouncer after bouncer after bouncer. I thought that part of it was pretty uh, pretty spectacular theatre. And just on the Bearstow incident, the, the one thing is that the, the, the central figures in this, Alex Carey and Pat Cummins, are known for playing the game in a very fair manner of, you know, they're not players that get into trouble and, you know, Cummins is the captain, Kerry is the wiki keeper. I'm going to back their judgment on this one uh, because, you know, they, they are real great characters of integrity and, and I, you know, I'm going to back them up on that. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm not, I'm not questioning their integrity. I'm not saying that they needed to bring them, bring him back in. I'm just saying, an Australian captain of yesteryear back in the golden era would have done that. And that's what I would have liked to have seen done. And that's what I would have done because I would have just thought he was trying to gain nothing from it. Um, that's not the way I want to get someone out. But Bairstow is a dozy fool for doing it. Um, Bairstow probably should come out himself and say, yeah, I, I, you know, I deserve what I got. I, I totally accept that as well. So I'm not criticizing Aussies. I'm just saying that's what I would have done. What was the Ian Healy line? Maybe. Johnny saw a Mars bar down at a good length, and that's why I wandered out. Um, I think that either of us are in a position to um, criticise Johnny Bairstow's fitness, mate. <laughs> I know. I'm just, I'm just winding him up because of what uh, Glenn, uh, our friend Jim Maxwell said leading into the test match that was widely reported. Uh, he said that Johnny Bairstow was too fat to wicket keep or words to thereabouts. Uh, anyway, I, I digress. I digress in the heat of the emotion. But back on the play, I think the one area that, maybe Kerry and Cummins would have uh, re revisited the whole thing was that dismissal fired up Ben Stokes. He, he turned from playing pretty nicely to absolute beast mode. And he combined with Stuart Broad before lunch. Um, <clears throat> so was it before lunch? Yeah, before lunch. He just combined with Stuart Broad just before lunch. He started smacking Australia around and he got to his hundred off 142 balls with three consecutive sixes. I mean, that passage of play leading up to the lunch break was stirring stuff. Yeah. Uh, as I said, that's what I was saying before. It's, that's as good as sport gets. It was just unbelievable. And um, I, I think it was a, probably a combination of a bit of annoyance at the dismissal, but also the feeling that, okay, well, now the last recognised batter gone, the only way that England was going to win was for some aggression from, from, uh, from Stokes, and it was just a stunning, scintillating performance. He went from 100 to 150 in no time as well. Um, and uh, look, you know, as much as uh, as Australians, it's great that we've got the two 0 lead and everything else. Um, in another world, it was it's, it. It is a pity that 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 sort of brilliance didn't lead to a match winning match winning innings. Uh, it kind of deserved it. Um, so yeah, and he got them to the point of being favourites that um, I was watching the betting England clicked over to favouritism on WinViz, England clicked over to favouritism and they got to that point where it felt like Australia was out of ideas. And when England needed 70 or so to win with um, Stokes and uh, Broad at the crease and Broad hitting the occasional boundary as well, 
it had the feeling that England was was on their way to victory. Absolutely. I was absolutely losing my mind at that point. I mean, I thought Australia were going to lose it again. But so they go off for the lunch break. I think Ben Stokes is around 110 not out. They go through. There's a big spat in the long room. And I read the um, report here from Cricket Australia that they're alleging several incidents occurred in the members area. So it's not an isolated incident. But so they go off for lunch. And I actually thought, you know, lunchtime came at the right time for Australia, that they looked to be getting a bit ragged. I thought maybe if they got off the field and just, um, you know, could have a chat, sort of settle, calm the nerves down. And then they come out after lunch and Josh Hazelwood's got the ball, which I wasn't sure about. But in the first over after lunch, Ben Stokes pulls one in the air to deep square leg. Steve Smith runs in, safe as houses. You know, he's just such a good fielder. I'm thinking, this is it. Stokes is going, we're going on to win this. And he puts it down. And at that point, I just lost my shit because I was like, we cannot be giving Stokes chances. That was an amazing moment. Uh, I still don't know how he dropped it because he, he kind of, I, oh, he, he looked like he had it and then it just kind of fell out. It was uh, utterly, utterly bizarre. And um, yeah, I can't, I can't say much more, but I, it was just, you know, that's what tends to happen in these these moments that, you know, lots of crazy thing, things happen. It was a few minutes later that um, Carey dropped a difficult one diving to wide to his right. And um, yeah, that the you, you start to ride your luck and it seems as though you get a bit of luck. So you're right. The, the, uh, Stokes and um, Broad got the score to within, what, 70 of the target. And then, um, <clears throat> so those two had put on 108. Broad had made just 11 of them. Ben Stokes made 155 with um, how many sixes did he hit? He hit nine. Nine sixes and nine fours. So 155 of 214 balls. And I've got to say, I'd given up. I thought Australia was going to cop this one up. But then Josh Hazelwood gets a false shot out of Stokes, who tried to hit it away on the onside. It ballooned off the edge. Carey ran a long way from behind the stumps to point, took a very good catch, continuing a fantastic day for him. He'd been a part of all three dismissals. And with that wicket, seemingly went England's chances. Yeah, and then um, it was a huge, obviously, moment. But it went from England being uh, comfortable favourites to the betting suddenly saying England were only a 20% chance. So they dropped about... They probably went from a 70% chance to a 20% chance with that one dismissal. And it was, as I said, it was sad to see Stokes walking off, um, having played so well. Then aware oh, that I was probably, so happy. I wasn't sad at all. I thought it was I'm brilliant. Saying, I'm saying objectively taking away, you know, just the, the, the neutral viewer would have felt it was sad. Um, then Ollie Robinson, I mean, Jesus, the way that he came out and played, Stokes would have been entitled to belt him over the head when he walked in. Like, after Broad had stood there and copped so much and after Stokes had played so well, Ollie Robinson comes out and second or third ball with two men on the hook, swipes at one and gets himself out court. Uh, if I was the England side, I'd be like, what the hell are you doing, mate? You know, uh, just survive. And Broad could have then taken over the aggression. The aggression. You know, he played a couple of decent shots up till then, but um, I, I can't understand that. I mean, I... I think that um, if I was an England fan, that moment that Robinson got out after all that work, normally you see the tail elevate themselves 
in these situations, as Tung did and as Anderson. I like Cummins and Lyon last week. Yeah, and, and Tung played well and Anderson, you know, he copped an absolute battering and didn't shirk at once. And Robertson's played this swipe to a, a, a bouncer. I just thought it was very, very poor and um, weird. The bloke that keeps on kind of sledging the Aussies and then plays that shot, I don't get it. Yes, and another big wicket to Hazelwood. So uh, at that point, the writing was on the wall. Stuart Broad was out to Hazelwood, caught by Cameron Green off 11, gutsy, gutsy knock. And that brought uh, Anderson and Tung together. And, oh, man, Anderson copped it. And I, I want to talk about the Aussie bowling in a moment, but um, Anderson, he copped it. He got hit on the body repeatedly, he got hit on the head, had to change his helmet. Um, Josh Tung played nicely at the other end, but, Eventually, they were bowled out for 327. Australia win by 43. But, boy, Anderson was in the firing line for a long time there. Yes, and I think that it talks, touches on what we spoke about yesterday, that I don't understand how the umpires aren't enforcing the laws. That The, 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 the law is that the bowling of short-pitch deliveries is dangerous if the bowler's end umpire considers that taking into consideration the skill of the striker by their speed, length, height, and direction, they are likely to inflict physical injury on him or her. The fact that the striker is wearing protective equipment shall be disregarded. Ponting, in commentary, talked an amazing stat during this game. He said that there were, according to Winvis, uh, to Crickviz, 52 times that off the fastball of the ball hit the body or the head or the, uh, you know, or, 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 or the glove, which is the most recorded in the 17 or so years of that sort of tracking data. You would have to say that the way that um, they were bowling to Anderson, that it was likely that he was going to get um, uh, to get injured at some point. I, I just think that the umpires have been derelict throughout the game in not stepping in, not only on that, but also on the, the repeated um, balls overhead height, that the laws also um, say that if they repeatedly pass above head height, um, standing upright at the crease, that's unfair, um, even if it's not dangerous, and they should have stepped in. Uh, I think that it's a problem that this series is going to encounter. If the pitches continue to be flat and we see hour after hour of that bouncer-a-thon with a deep-set field, yes, it was amazing at points during this match, but there's also times where it did drift, and I think that they need to do something about that. I, I agree. and um, Maybe they need to go back to the one bouncer limit per over to to try and quell this, but... Yeah, it was a real bouncer barrage. Anderson, he might retire after that. We said he might retire, didn't we, on, on the last show we recorded. Well, that might just push him over the edge, or at least maybe he won't want to head out there again in this Ashes series. Um, but I mean, I at just one want... point, just one point, he, you know, he did he did jump down the wicket, and but he wore one straight in the grill, um, and it was brutal. Uh, and I, I think at that point, that's where, Let's just say he had been hit more seriously than that and had gone down a bit like Steve Smith did a few years ago. Suddenly, the umpires would be called into question. You know, in the light of the death of, the, of Philip Hughes, in the days after that, there was a whole feeling of, yeah, we've gone a little bit too far with um, uh, in cricket and bounces, that uh, let's pull it back a bit. Well, that has been completely overturned nine years later. And I, I think that that's a problem. I, I just think that, especially given that some of these pitches are uneven in their bounce, that some of these bowlers are so fast and so dangerous that I just think that the umpires have been derelict in their duty in, in not stepping in and enforcing the laws of the game in this match. Mm. 
Well, the the quick fizz stats don't lie about the number of short balls and the the evidence is there. So just I just want to talk a little bit about Australia's tactics and Pat Cummins' captaincy and some of the bowling changes. And I'm curious on your view on this. You know, I thought Australia really looked a bit clueless there at a, for a while there during that partnership between um, Broad and Stokes. And even uh, at the end there when Tung and Anderson put on 25, it took them a while to realise they just maybe needed to bowl the ball at the stumps. But just on the Broad and Anderson, uh, Broad and Stokes partnership, I thought that Australia must have had in the back of their mind Stokes could go at as hard. And they persisted with um, just trying to buy his wicket with short balls, which it, it, it was clear it wasn't working because the pitch was too slow to really hurry him up. And he was depositing most of the balls in the stand. Cameron Green bowled far too long. There was a, a big period there where we didn't see Mitchell Stark. They never tried to bring Travis Head on to try and slow things up. I thought Cummins, the, the game sped up for him there. And you could tell there was a moment, if you saw in the second session, where actually Kawaja and Smith almost stepped in and started to really um, outwardly and, um, you know, you could really see them supporting Cummins and helping him with the decisions. And, uh, you know, I, it's tough. I'm sure when Stokes is bashing the ball all over the place, it's not easy. But I just felt we didn't really have a plan B or a plan C and we stuck with the wrong plans for too long. Yeah, I think that having the field back and bowling short balls to Stokes, uh, I always think that's the wrong thing to do. And at, at times it was comical. We had all nine fielders on the boundary and yet he, he kept on hitting them over the fence. It reminded me uh, quite a lot of the uh, famous victory four years ago. Um, so, you know, I, mean, I, I just don't, don't honestly know whether it's Cummins as um specific fault or I, I just tend to think that's what they all would have done i think if it had been other captains in charge they would have done that as well i never understand it and i, I understand the fear i get it yeah if you have three slips in a ring field and stokes is teeing off you feel like you could win the game in five minutes um i i totally get that but you've got to realize you've got to sort of say okay um he's going to miss hit one eventually um if we keep on with a, a degree of uh, normality at least bringing the field up for the last two balls of the over, he was getting a single so easily. Broad had such a small percentage of the strike. So, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a puzzling period by Australia, but I entirely expected them to do it because they always seem to. Mm. And as a, you know, I, I think Australia wins despite of Pat Cummins' captaincy, but he's good at other things. I mean, that sounds harsh. I just mean in those periods, Australia still seems to find a way. Uh, like I thought, like Cameron Green was clearly getting a bit rattled and they brought him on for that one more over where Stokes hit the three. Well, I think he hit four and then three sixes to bring up his century. So, you know, it was one over too many for green. And I really thought they needed to bring Stark on and just bowl quick Yorkers for a while and try that tactic, but he didn't bowl for a couple of hours. Um, and I, I thought Travis head was probably worth a go just before lunch to see if you could maybe, um, tempt Stokes into doing something stupid. So, yeah, I thought it wasn't a great period. Cummins would say, though, that, you know, first over after lunch, he started with Hazelwood, who bowled a short ball, and had Smith taken the catch, um, their tactics would have been rewarded. But, yeah, I, I just felt, again, you know, you really see the challenges of Cummins, who needs to lead the attack, who you need to be your McGrath or your Lily, um, also is your captain. I think it was the same tactics that Payne employed um, four years ago. 
I think it's the same tactic Smith would have employed if he'd been captain. I just think they all tend to do it. Um, the one that was the exception in recent times was probably Michael Clark. But other than that, they it's like a um, like, uh, like a what's the cliche? A moth to the flame. They just they can't seem to resist doing it. Well, looking at the Australian bowlers, I, I sent a message to a friend today that I thought um, Josh Hazel would would take a lot of the wickets today, and he did. He took three of the six wickets to ball today. Um, Stark and Cummins took one more each, and Green took a wicket. So the wickets were shared around between them. Australia win by 43 runs. I mean, when you reflect on this game, Paul, I sort of look back at Australia's first innings, that beautiful 100 by Smith to get Australia over 400, and then England collapsing from, what, one for 188 in their first innings to be all out for 200. Sorry, they were all out for 325 when it looked like they'd make, you know, close to our 416. And I think that's probably where Australia got the advantage. Yes, and Australia won despite the fact that uh, Lyon uh, couldn't bowl in the second innings and also that Australia, for large parts of the game, were batting in conditions that it looked harder, whether you know the, the, the clouds were in and England got a fair bit of um, blue sky. It was probably a pretty good toss to win as well. So uh, Australia have won despite those disadvantages. It's quite a remarkable uh, thing to look back that Australia now leading 2-0 um, and have all but retained the Ashes, yet with about an hour to go in each of the first two test matches, England were very strong favourites in, in both. Massive favourites in the first one and strong favourites in the second. It just shows the how quickly to, um, sport can turn, I suppose, in tennis terms. It's kind of like um, Australia's leading 7-6, 7-6. And uh, it's a long way back for England from here. One of my favourite stats is that in any five test match series throughout history, no side except one has ever come back from 2-0 down to win. Um, and that was with Bradman scoring 270, 212 and 169. So good luck, England. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's just like two golden point NRL wins in a row. Oh, come on, mate. Don't be don't <laughs> pretend to be a grown-up and know about rugby league. <laughs> uh, but, but I just sort of reflect on this game. And look, um, for those listening, uh, Paul and I are catching up with Chris Stocks a very respected cricket journalist from England uh, who writes for iPaper. So we're catching up on Monday to reflect on this match and the series so far. But, you know, there are so many moments that will be etched in Ash's folklore from this Lord's Test match. I mean, you look at Nathan Lyon limping out there. You know, you look at what happened today with the Stokes innings, the Carey um, stumping of Bairstow, um, Steve Smith's 100. I mean, there are so many... Uh, moments that will just be written in the, the history and the annals of Ashes cricket. We've, we've been very lucky to see a great game and thank goodness Australia got on top. I mean, it's so fantastic. Australia haven't, you know, been tuning up in an Ashes series in England oh, for way too long. Yep. Since 2001. And yeah, it's, um, uh, it's been a fantastic two matches Despite the pitches that weren't great, you know the players have have, have made it, have, have turned it on. Uh, I've been watching the English newspapers. It's been back page coverage. Um, I think this will get back page coverage and even a bit of front page coverage. And it feels like that, um, you know, there are certainly feelings that are similar to two thousand and five in the way that it is capturing the the mood of the nation. Um, for it to take take that next next step and truly become a classic Ashes series. Uh, obviously England will need to hit back. If Australia win the next test and win the Ashes, 
it will take a little bit of the sting out of it. And I'm sure, obviously, men is that's totally delightful. The only thing you want more than mm. five nil is a six nil win. Um, Absolutely. After you're, you're the way like, their fans have carried on, <laughs> they haven't though. They have. I said it before the series and they've proved it right after two test matches. I mean, sinking ship, their English fans. I mean, it's embarrassing for them. No, it's not. Their fans are the best in the world. The atmosphere that I've experienced in England has been absolutely magnificent. And um, Australian grounds, when we play, it's like um, it's like a library. And the only time that it's not is when the Barmy Army are there or the Indian fans are there. But, you know, um, the, the atmosphere in England is, is superb. And I look... Absolutely. That, that, that MCC guys in the long room are absolute idiots and they should be um, facing some consequences. But I think that the average England cricket fan who turns up to the test matches is great. Yeah, I'm not so sure. My experience. Anyway, I don't, let's not get into it because I'll, I'll, maybe we'll dive into it another time. Um, anyway, Australia are 2 nil up. I mean, I hope the team gets out of Lords alive. I mean, it was it was. The atmosphere was just popping through the screen. I mean, I, I was like, I was having like panic attacks watching that last few hours. I mean, it was quite incredible. Uh, any parting words, Paul, before we wrap this up? Um, well, it was interesting that it was Lords and not, I mean, Lords is normally very quiet and um, had that same thing occurred at Edgebeston, then the, you could have added a um, <laughs> an extra zero after the decibel, uh, decibel count. It would have been truly, um, truly astonishing. But um I think if the MCC members can't handle themselves, they might have to do something about the long room. And um, I didn't like it how the guy was kind of almost trying to keep Kawaja away as well. I don't think Kawaja was doing anything wrong. Um, but yeah, that was disappointing. The Bairstow incident is obviously going to be the talking point um, and the short balls and everything else. But I'd, I'd prefer to remember this game for the 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 courage of Nathan Lyon, the, the incredible innings of Steve Smith in the first te- in the first innings. Uh, and the indescribably great innings of Ben Stokes that almost won it for England. And yeah, I was going to, before the Ashes, do my top 55 moments of Ashes cricket in England. I uh, haven't got around to it yet. I'm kind of happy because I'll probably have to um, uh, make it top 57 moments because each of these first two are going to get in there at some point. These first two test matches have been absolutely superb. Yeah, what a summer this Australian team is putting together. What an English summer they're putting together. They've beaten India in the World Test Championship final. They've won the first two Ashes tests. You know, it's just so great because Australia have struggled in English conditions for so long, but to win three test matches in a row, heroic stuff. Um, Great day from Alex Carey behind the stumps. He is a true Aussie hero. He has nothing to be ashamed about. He should hold his head high. Paul... Thanks for joining me for this wrap, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, as I said, we'll be back on Monday with a, a bit of a, a deeper dive into the test match in the series so far. But, uh, yeah, what a day for Australia. They're 2-0 up in the ashes. Hey, everyone. This is a Piccolo Podcast production. Sports Social Podcast Network.